Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on cagesidepress.com. I'm Dana Goopy Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the UFC is back in the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 69, headlined by newly into the main event, Jessica Andrade versus Aaron Blanchfield. We'll, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. Plus, we've got awesome interviews lined up for you guys today. Kicking off the show, the light heavyweight champion of the world, or the former, I guess we can call it, Yiri Prohashka is joining the show. And then a little bit later on, we will be joined by two fighters on UFC Vegas 69, Zach Paunga and Jamal Pogues. But before we get to any of that great content, I do have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Picket. The Picket social betting platform allows you to sync all of your bets from all of your sports books in one nice, neat spot, helping you stay on top of the ways that you're the most profitable. Not only that, but it's a great place to connect with other bettors, whether that be showing off your big score to some of your friends or trying to gain a following in the sports betting community. Pickett's got you covered. New, veteran, and experienced bettors have all joined the Pickett community. So what are you waiting for? Download the Pickett app today on the Google Play Store or the App Store and get in on the fun. Pickett brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. Alright, and joining me today is the UFC's former light heavyweight champion, Yuri Prohashka. Yuri, I, I know you're out in Vegas today. Are you there getting work done on the shoulder? Are you just out there training? Give us a little bit of a, uh update on why you're out in Vegas now. Yeah, I just came home uh, from my training, from my training session and uh, rehabs, all these stuffs around. So... Now it's time to, to eat a little bit and uh, rest, rest. That's good. And you, so, so you're out there rehabbing. You're, you're out there getting your shoulders stronger. Is that sort of the yeah. situation we're still in? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's right. I'm working on it. So right now it's, uh, it's a main target to be uh, in full range, in full range with that, with that shoulder to have activated all the mu- all the muscles around the shoulder and still and uh, still building the best condition in the game and uh, and still work on like uh, work that on, on the movement yeah so that's that's all the time the same targets I love it I love it now you're a, a few months removed from your sort of decision to drop the title, right? A lot of champions have held onto that title, even through injuries like the one that you've had. But you, yeah. you did sort of the honorable thing. You dropped the title. Do you have any regret in the long run of deciding that like that, that was the thing that you wanted to do? There is no regrets. There is no regrets. I I no regret nothing. Everything well, what I did uh, was uh, – was necessary even even the even the uh, injury so everything uh, have the the reason everything have uh, have a reason so 
so I'm I'm good with with everything. I'm just uh, happy for uh, how everything goes, how everything is is going right now, and uh, <laughs> right now I'm I'm very happy. That that's great to hear. That's great to hear. Now I, I want to ask because you you said you like the way that things are going. Let's talk about what kind of went on with your title afterwards, because, you know, they have this title fight. It was supposed to be Glover to share it in there. He winds up not taking it. You get Blankovich versus Magomed Ankalaev. Neither of them won the title. Neither of them managed to. What were sort of your thoughts on, you know, after that very first title fight without you, there, there still wasn't a champion? Yeah. Uh, this is... I don't want to... Speak about about that uh, about that more because it's it's behind us and uh, and uh, that was how it was. <laughs> so so I think when I will be back in full power, I'll be the champion. I'll be the, I'm the champion right, now. but but I'll be on the paper the champion. And uh, and I'm and I'm looking for looking forward for our next challenges. Yeah, and uh, I think the main problem with me, main problem was with me. Uh, that's what's ha- what's what's happened in that I did I didn't t- take uh, that uh, challenge with Glover Teixeira in uh, Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, and uh, I, I was, I was like, uh, no, I don't want, I don't want to. That was the first time when, when I said, I don't want to fight in this country because you are uh, like, uh, it's your hometown, and uh, I want to fight as soon as possible. So in December in Las Vegas, and I think it was, it was for me, it was too fast, and. Doesn't matter. For, now it's now it doesn't matter. But now it doesn't matter. But uh, but I know right now. I know the challenge is keeping me alive, keeping me uh, uh, keeping me sharp, and that's why I'm looking forward to 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 overcome my next challenges. Absolutely. And, and you said, you know, you're, you're looking forward and obviously you can't look back at those those challenges that could have happened. But the challenge in front of you seemingly is Jamal Hill, right? Jamal Hill also beat Glover Teixeira. Do you sort of envision that you're the next in line for him? Do you feel like the timetable is going to work out that, that you know, he probably doesn't defend the title before he gets a chance to fight you for it? One more time. One, one more time, please. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that you will be ready so that you will be his next challenger, or will he have to take you know sort of another fight in between while you get ready? For me, uh, I don't, I don't care who will be the who will be who will keep the title, but I'm after my next fight will be the title fight because I didn't uh, fault anybody, and uh, I released the title. From the from the reason that I will come back for for the title and write for the title, yeah, rightly for for the title, 
after I will be uh, in full power. So, so that I believe, I believe in uh, that will be. Doesn't matter who, if it will be uh, Jamal Hill or whoever, but I think he will, he will, he will, he will. Uh, the Jamal will uh, uh, will wait till 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 when I will be back. You think you'll wait till you, you'll be back? Is is that partially because you feel like you know you're getting close to being back, or do you think you know he wants that fight with you? He knows you're the real champion, and he wants to fight you. Yeah, I think he 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 wants to fight. He wants to fight with me because he spoke about the fight with me, and I'm I really I'm really looking forward to 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 gave him to gave him what he wants. I like that. I like that. Now I, I gotta ask you too because you you sort of already started hyping that fight for us. You know, we got to see the video you dropped on social media. You you yelling that you were coming. You're ready to go. Tell yeah. us a little, a little bit what went on behind the scenes of that video because it, it got talked about all over, you know, yeah. Twitter and people love that. <laughs> yeah, everybody. Yeah, that that's because I I, I use these words, words, <laughs> but but that was not in play. Like, uh, it was just uh, I said that because I felt I felt that like that. Yeah, because right now I'm coming back to be healthy to be in full power and then coming back for for uh for the title and it's in that video it uh it seems like uh like it's it's funny <laughs> but everybody everybody will know when i will be holding when i will be holding the title again everybody will know Absolutely. And I, I know you're not thinking too far ahead with this title, right? Like you're, you're thinking about that next fight. You're thinking about whoever it is holding the belt and getting that back. That's rightfully yours. But I got to ask, you know, the UFC right now has people jumping all over the place. You got, you know, Alex Pajeda talking about coming out of middleweight and fighting at 205. You got, you know, Alexander mm -hmm. Volkanovsky this weekend is going up to 155 yeah, yeah. to fight. I know you fought up at weight classes before, right? You fought heavyweight <laughs> fights back in the day. Is that something yeah. you think about moving to up to in the future? Uh, moving up uh, for me it doesn't matter. For me, it's more, more, uh, more like uh, more better, like a better, better offer to 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 fight with the guys uh, between between the uh, somebody who's. Uh, from middleweight or somebody who's uh, from he heavyweight, because for me is no, no, uh, not so big uh, difference between between the, these weight classes, because I can build uh, the big, I can build my my body to fight a heavier opponent or lighter opponent. Yeah, mm -hmm. for me it doesn't matter. I'm keeping my weight. Uh, the same all the time, the same around uh, full around ninety five kilograms on a, on the fight day, and uh, and keeping my uh, my strength condi conditioning on the on the 
amazing level. So when you realize how you how you can how your body uh, can work for you, you you don't need to to be heavy or super light or 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 whatever. You have to be just you. What's your natural? What's your natural feeling? Feeling? What's your natural best feeling of your body? And with that, start build the best uh, strength, power, uh, dynamic power, endurance, breathing, conditioning, and uh, and all these all these stuff around. And I got to ask too, with obviously with the shoulder injury, you've been able to do a lot of the usual strength and conditioning stuff you have, but have you found it hard to keep yourself at that maximum ability level, that, that perfect cardio, that perfect breathing, that perfect power you're talking about, or have you felt like, you know, it's helped you hone in on some of the other things that maybe you, you had to focus less on? Uh, what was the meaning of the question? Yeah, yeah. So, have you, while you've had your shoulder injury, has it been hard to keep up with the strength and conditioning to keep up uh, with some of those? Uh, no, um, uh, every every exercise can be like uh, uh, every every exercise can like to to build a maximum conditioning. Right now, I can do in a full power air bike. So I can do just uh, bicycle, like bicycle uh, riding, yeah. So I'm um, I'm doing this after two weeks. I can do uh, in full power the air bike or uh, running or uh, dead uh, deadlift, yeah? yeah. So then I will. I have to balance my balance my body in uh, in all these these all these all these uh, uh, exercises awesome that, that's good to hear now you know you, you're talking about you know being this far away from doing this or this far away from doing that do you have an ideal timetable on when you'd like to be back in the cage uh I like to be in the in this summer in this summer or in the end of this summer doesn't matter i wanna i just wanna uh, i will watch how it goes everything and by that we we can uh, we can uh, we can fight maybe earlier maybe later maybe whenever it will be uh, the best but i think in this summer it's it's real to be uh to be ready and uh, be uh be the champion and we're looking forward to seeing you be the champion again now b- before i let you go I-, I usually like to ask for a fight prediction because usually the fighters I'm-, I'm interviewing are are fighting this week or fighting next week you're not fighting for a really long time but give us a little taste on what you think a fight with jamal hill would look like and, and how you would fare and what it would you know how it would ultimately end how he fought with uh, with who? Like, no, how he would fight with you. How he would match up with you in a fight. Ah, me, me and Jamal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I watched I watched his fights, and uh, I don't I don't like to talk about about my stand before uh, to like my strategy for him, but there is a lot of things 
to what what I see what is the key to 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 win but uh, I will keep it just for myself but first I have to say he have he have a very mm, like uh, nice style like uh, not not predictable too too much very nice timing and uh, his style is is so like simple but strong yeah that's that's what I what that's what I like to, on on his style that's what I like on his style and uh, that the key the keys the keys for for my win uh, I will I will I will keep just for myself so well we respect that and we're looking forward to seeing that fight when hopefully it does happen once again fans this has been UFC light heavyweight champion Yuri Prohashka Yuri thank you so much for the time I really appreciate it thank you thank you have a great day victory well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Yiri Prohashka. I once again am Daniel Gumby Reeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I mean, there's a UFC event this weekend, but all of the MMA talk is in exactly one spot right now, and that is the whole fallout of Volkanovski versus Makachev, both like who won, the pound for pound stuff. I'm gonna put the pound to pound stuff for bed. We don't need to talk about that. But how did you score? the main event on Saturday. Okay. I did not sit there with a pencil. I never do. I like to enjoy the fights. But that being said, and I did go back because I wanted to see one thing. I had Maki round one, which albeit there was not a lot of action. And while I thought that uh, Volkanovski kind of controlled the pace for the most of it, and threw more uh, strikes and tried to advance position more, it ended, and by the way, the significant strikes, at least to the scorecard in round one, were you know somewhat close, but it ended with Maki getting his back and double hooks in and about a minute of control. So I gave Maki round one. I gave him round two, where he had a knockdown, and I gave him round four. I th- And also, I can't remember which one now, but one of those rounds, I think it was, Four. He had his back for about two minutes. Maybe that was two. I gave Volkanovski three and five, and he certainly won the last minute of the fight. All be it said, I had Maki three to two. How did you score it? You know, in real time, I had thought Volkanovski had won. Um, I think without question, one in four were definitely Makachev's rounds. Three and five undoubtedly were Volkanovski's rounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the opposite way. And I think two is just winds up being the question. Now, you know, I, I've gone back and I've watched pieces of two and it, it sort of depends on, you know, how you want to weigh certain strikes and whether or not you think he did enough. I think in real time, I scored it for Volkanovski because I, I wanted to believe it wasn't two to nothing Makashev because, it, it, you know, a two to nothing title fight, those last three rounds feel real daunting. It's pretty rare apart from, you know, Yuan Yan Jacek's comeback against uh, Claudia Gedalia that somebody's going to drop the first two rounds and win three, four, and five. So, like, I think deep down I wanted that, and that's sort of what swayed me the other way. I think if I'm being honest with myself, I think i probably give Makashev number two as well. Um, but, like, it, I mean, it was super close. It's the maybe two of the best fighters in the whole world up against one another. 
and, and it was, you know, like you said, a fight that we all should be enjoying more than we're debating. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, who doesn't want to see the rematch? I think it's it, this is high-level MMA. It was strategic. The way they both went about their game plans, Maki, not going to take a lot of risks, right? Um, Volkanovski is so impressed, right? I mean, the submission defense on that man is crazy. I kind of had this feeling, while I know, you know, uh, Ortega is a submission master, and while he had that guillotine sunk, I kind of just thought maybe Maki with, you know, stronger and, you know, that whole thing, maybe he could sink something in. I was actually surprised a couple of times. I thought the head and arm choke was there off the back control when he couldn't choke his back. It seemed like he could have trapped the head and arm and tried to squeeze there. He might have chose not to, to not gas out his arms. But again, so impressed. I mean, Volkanovsky, he's almost impossible to finish. Um, and he's a high-level striker. I mean, I think Volkanovsky is the better all-around MMA fighter, I, you know, and that's the feather in his cap. But again, I think Maki has some tools where, like, he's going to control the grappling more or less. He's going to be, you know, stronger. Uh, but he's also going to tire out faster, and that's what was so interesting about the last round. So I couldn't ask for a better matchup, and I wasn't so gung-ho on it going in. You know, I hated the fact that it held up the 145 and he comes up. Um, that being said, let me put a question on you. Where do both fighters go from here? Uh, and what do you want to see happen, ideally? You know, so you mentioned the rematch. I want to see a rematch, but I don't want to see it now. Uh, give me 12 to 18 months. You know, let this be, uh, you know, Jeff Fox said it to me uh, earlier. Let this be our BJ Penn GSP. Let's revisit it in a couple of years or a year and a half from now and enjoy it again then. Because if they're still at the top of the game, and I really do think they're both still going to be at the top of the game 18 months from now, we can run it 18 months from now. It's not a big deal. Um, you know, International Fight Week 2024. Give me it then. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, I think Volkanovski has kind of got to defend it against Yair Rodriguez. I, I think now that he's the interim champion, it makes sense. Um, I think he's going to murder Yair. I think he's going to embarrass Yair uh, in a real way. Especially because, like, what has looked the best about Yair in his last two fights? Oh, submissions off of his back? That's cute. Because um, he ain't beating Volkanovski that way. And for Makashev, you know, like, unfortunately, the, the lightweight division, and this is maybe why we got this fight in the first place, the lightweight division's gotten a little stale. Those top guys only seem to want to fight each other and nothing else. I, I think there's a good chance Benil Dariush, if he gets by Charles Oliveira, gets that fight. If not... Uh, if, if Rafael Fiziev is able to get by Justin Gaethje, maybe Fiziev sneaks in there. Um, but like, yeah, like I, I don't see a clear cut number one at lightweight, but like it's time to defend at lightweight, right? Because, uh, you know, not that he didn't defend against Volkanovsky, but, um, I'd like him to fight some of those up and coming guys who've sort of not gotten their shot already there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have to also say, too, I, I really now, I, like, it, it just sucks because I like seeing a champion defend, you know, and, like, go for the Anderson Silva records here. Let's break records. Like, I want to see Volkanovski just destroy 145, but his performance at 155 against a much bigger fighter who he gave up four inches to, um, you know, I, I'm very intrigued. I want to see Volkanovski against Charles Oliveira now. I want to see Volkanovski against Dustin Poirier. Those fights sound incredible to me now. Whereas, you know, before the fight, I, like I said, I was a little more down on Volkanovski at 155, just because, again, he's a smaller 
smaller kind of guy. He's stout, no doubt. Former rugby player. He used to be 200 pounds, but he is smaller. I will also say, too, and I agree with you, I want the separation, and you can always run this back. This would be a wonderful sequel that kind of comes out of nowhere. I don't necessarily need to see it again six months from now, but like you said, Fight Week 2024, sign me up. I mean, I would be so juiced up about that announcement after they've each kind of defended their belt again. But I do have to say, I, I you know, I, we we retweeted this on the social medias. Uh, Volkanovski is older than I actually kind of remember him being. You know, he's 34. Um, he'll get into that 35 range. And we all know at the lighter weights, you know, mid-30s is kind of death there. You can compete oh, as an older person at heavyweight, you know, more relying on power than speed. So that all being said, um, I definitely want to get as many, like, huge fights out of Volkanovski as I can over the next two years before he's 36, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I, but luckily for him, I, I think there are still some – at, at featherweight, right? Like, cause obviously the year one is coming up, but it's not like featherweight doesn't have like two or three or four guys who are like on the verge of something big, right? Like, you know, Ilya Tapuria, come on. Ilya Tapuria just beat the living mm-hmm. snot out of Bryce Mitchell. Right. And, like, was awesome. yeah. yeah. It was awesome fight. Aw- aw- like awesome performance. I mean, he beat the hell out of Ryan Hall before that. Like that is a dude who we need to be seeing Volkanovsky against, right? And, hey, maybe that's when youth catches up to Volkanovsky, you know, 35 and a half, and that happens. Or, you know, Movsar Evloev is like a guy who's right on the cusp of that kind of, you know, breakthrough too. And, hey, maybe those guys fight each other, or maybe, you know, one of them gets an Arnold Allen, right? Arnold Allen's fighting Max Holloway. That that dude's nipping on the – so, like, there are so many fun fights for Volkanovsky too that I think he can have at featherweight. And while, like, I agree with you before, I'd love to see him fight Poirier. I think he beat Dustin Poirier for the record. Um, I'd love to see him fight Poirier. I'd love to see him fight Charlie Olives and all that kind of stuff. I, I kind of think he he can defend two or three times down there at featherweight and still be getting fresh non-Max Holloway matchups. <laughs> yep, I'm with you. Hey, I can never see him in Max Holloway again. I'm sorry. Hey, real <laughs> quick to button this up. I just It's something that crossed my mind. I actually, I don't know why I'm sick because I don't really find Connor to be like a high level fighter in any way, shape or form, especially with the inactivity over the last few years. But I'm just curious off the top of your head, like I would watch Connor versus Volkanovski. What would you set the odds at Connor versus Volkanovski? So what would I set the odds at as a bookmaker who is trying to make money or as a uh, logical human being is what the odds should be? Yeah, what the odds should be. What the odds should. Yeah, be. the odds should be Volkanovski negative six hundred. Um, yeah, Con- I was. Connor, I was actually. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say my, like minus four fifty something in the fi- like almost five range. I'm there with you though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe plus five hundred for Connor on the return. Um, but like you know, like Connor's got the one punch in like who is touching Volkanovski? You know, like his is. You know, Ringcraft is just perfect. So, and and he would have a wrestling advantage too, which I I think some people forget that like he can wrestle pretty damn good too. Um, I mean we saw him almost take Makachev down, uh, for that matter. So like, yeah, like I I think he would just blow Connor out of the water. But that being said, I'd love to see him do it for his own brand because I love me some Volkanovski. 
I'm with you there. All right. I also love me, our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. And we have a uh, a fun card, so to speak, this weekend for UC Vegas 69. So let's get into that, Gumby. But first, I want to ask you, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UC Vegas 69? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. Your favorite athletes always strive to put themselves in a winning position, and it's time you did, too, with MyBookie. MyBookie has the biggest online selection of odds and contests to fill all your sports betting needs anytime, anywhere. But on the best in combat sports like the UFC or play for a share of big cash prizes in their weekly blackjack tournaments, sign up at MyBookie and use promo code TOPTURTLE on a deposit of $500 or more, and you can claim a bonus of up to $200. Again, that's promo code TOPTURTLE to claim a brand new deposit bonus designed for bettors looking to get their cash in and out quickly. Experience sports in a whole new light and make this season a winning one. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right. Uh, I am excited about this main event. I really am. Jessica Andrade, a minus 165 favorite. Aaron Blanchfield, the New Jersey product. Grappler extraordinaire is a plus one five, excuse me, a plus 145 dog. And what I love about this, it's a huge step up in competition. Andrade taking it on a short notice. But if Blanchfield were to win, she would certainly cement herself at the top of the division and a prospect that was 100 uh, percent backing up the hype, so to speak. Now, that being said, Andrade, she's on a three fight win streak. She just came off a unanimous decision win over Lauren Murphy back on January 21st. So, you know, exactly a month to the date of the fight more or less. And, uh, you know, again, someone who's been at the tippy top of that division for a while now. But Erin Blanchfield has been so impressive since coming in from Invicta. She is 4-0 and in the UFC. Two unanimous decision wins, a guillotine uh, submission victory over J.J. Aldrich, and coming off a big Kimura over Meatball Molly McCann. Meatball Molly McCann is a tough cookie. She's a tough meatball, I guess I should say. That was back in November. And it was very impressive. Blanchfield, her grappling, excites me to say the least. But huge step up in competition here for her. Plus 145 dog. Who you got? You know, this fight is so intriguing for so many reasons. The the big one to me is that Jessica Andrade has shown actually two, two different versions of herself when it comes to grappling defense. At times... She's looked untouchable in the grappling, like she can't be taken down, especially in that Lauren Murphy fight. And in other times, she's looking like she couldn't defend a takedown. Uh, if you go back to her fight with Valnachita Shevchenko or even back to her, her strawweight fight with Tisha Torres, she actually failed to stuff any takedowns in either of those two fights. She was 0 for 9 in stuffing takedowns if you just take those two fights out of the equation. And, and the difference for me between those versions of her and the version that just beat the living hell out of Lauren Murphy was nuance in getting to the takedown. Was not shooting a takedown from a million miles away or not thinking you can strike with her. Because I think that that was Lauren Murphy's mistake, right? Is Lauren Murphy was like, I can get enough done on the feet. And then she shot the takedown when it was like, oh shit, I can't get enough done on the feet. I think Blanchfield has no misconceptions about the way that she wants this fight to go. I think she has avenues to get this fight to the ground. And I think as long as she is nuanced in the way that she does that, she does not force the envelope. She just takes what is presented to her and exploits it. I love her chances. And I think the other thing is Jessica Andrade, while, you know, like a small ball of muscle that she is, 
I don't think she's going to have a very easy time getting up from underneath Aaron Blanchfield. Like, I think if Aaron Blanchfield puts her on her ass, I don't think she's going to get up, which means essentially Blanchfield needs to not get knocked out and, and get two takedowns that she's now won two out of three rounds. Uh, I, I think this, did this get moved to five rounds? Because if Jessica Andrade taking this on short notice and fighting five rounds, that's also a mistake if it is. Um, and then in, in that case, apply my same logic of my breakdown and say that she needs three takedowns instead. I'm going to go with Aaron Blanchfield. I like the dog money here. And I also just think like the, the, the avenue is there and intriguing enough. And I worry about Andrade on short notice. Yeah, I had all the same thoughts. Um, I definitely think the fight favors Blanchfield if it is five rounds. Even, you know, despite the short notice, you know, Andrade, somewhat of a power game, I, I, she tends to fade a little later. So I like Blanchfield there. Huge step up in competition. I'm not worried for Blanchfield. If she were to lose, she'll, you know, fix what she needs to work on. In She's, that so young, She's so young, too. She's so young. So young and she'll come back, you know, and evolve as an MMA fighter. But if she wins, you know, this puts her on, on the fast path. All right, let's move on then. Um, another somewhat intriguing fight in a lot of ways. And uh, I want to actually just give you the odds on it before we break down each fighter. Zach Poanga is the minus 280 favorite and Jordan Wright is the plus 240 dog here. So looking at Jordan Wright, he's on a three-fight losing streak in the UFC. He's two and four in the UFC total. He does have two TKO wins, albeit one was a doctor stoppage. Uh, but that being said, three-fight losing streak typically says to me, you better win, son, or they're going to cut you. Um, so this is really do or die for him. And when it comes to uh, Zach Puega, he is on uh, – he's coming off a loss, I should say – but he did have two wins before that since coming in from Cage Warriors. So he's two and one in the UFC, uh, but those were ultimate fighter wins, actually, so I don't even count those. So she, he's really only, he's really 0 and 1 in the UFC and looking for a win here. Who you got? Yeah, so this is a weird one to be in the co main event with a guy who's 0 and 1 and uh, a guy on a three fight losing streak, but that's kind of where this card went. I actually think this is just meant to be a showcase fight for Zach Ponga, um, mo mostly because, like, if you look at Zach Ponga, like, I think he was highly touted coming in from LFA, coming in from Cage Warriors. He looks so damn good on the Ultimate Fighter, but the, the fact of the matter is he had to fight at heavyweight on the Ultimate Fighter, and the guy's a light heavyweight. Uh, you, th that completely changes your game plan. Um, and actually, a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be talking to him about how it really changed his game plan. So I think we're going to see a better version of him, a more wrestle-heavy version of him against Jordan Wright. And, and look, I, I've faded Jordan Wright pretty much since he's come to the UFC. He's a guy who fought mostly cupcakes on the regional scene. Uh, he's flashy, but he's not particularly technical. And I think Ponga is just going to tear him apart. So huge chalk play here, but uh, give me Zach Ponga to negative 280. Nothing to add there. Uh Jamal Pogues, a minus 230 favorite. Josh Parisian, a plus 200 dog. Uh, Pogues is coming off a contender series win. So this, you know, depending on how you count contender series, they're not counted as exhibition bouts. But, you know, it's contender series. Here's the real deal. He now comes in to face Josh Parisian. Um, he did come from LFA, if that's of importance to you. And uh, now fighting... Josh Parisian, who is coming off a performance of the night with a TKO over Alan Boudot, lost to Don Talia before that via TKO. 
in the UFC, counting Dana White Contender Series, which he had a win over Chad Johnson in his Dana White Contender Series debut, he is three and two in the UFC. Who you got here, Gumby? I like Pogues a lot in this fight for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, he took that Contender Series fight on short notice. He wasn't really even in camp or in shape to fight at that point in time. And he was really heavy. Uh, like, if you looked at him on that, you know, he used to fight at light heavyweight. He moved up to heavyweight mostly because he was taking this fight on short notice. And his body just wasn't anywhere near close to making light heavyweight. Now, he's at the Performance Institute. He's decided to stay at heavyweight and is doing so the right way. And I don't know if you've seen his Instagram. He looks great compared to what he looked like on the Contender Series. So, I think what we're going to see now is a Zach Fong, or a, a Jamal Pogues, rather. A Jamal Pogues who's much faster than your average heavyweight because he really does have like a light heavyweight build and a light heavyweight speed. And against a guy like Josh Parisian, I think that's going to play so highly. Parisian, you know, kind of needs this fight on the ground to have any sort of hope. And I think he's just going to get peppered on the feet. So I expect the the striking of Jamal Pogues here to just kind of carry the day. All right, I like it. Uh, let's then get to our dog of the week, and it's a top turtle MMA favorite. It's the veteran, Jim Miller, as a dog at plus 200. We're picking him over Alex Hernandez. Break that down. So first of all, I don't know how he's coming in here at plus 200. I mean, I know Alex Hernandez has got dangerous hands, but Hernandez has not looked particularly good as of late. In addition to that, Hernandez taking this fight on about like 10 days notice, if that. Hernandez up a weight class from where he's decided to fight, right? Like he decided to go down to featherweight. He did lose a fight down there, but now he's coming back to lightweight. So it's a weight class that he used to fight at isn't necessarily the weight class he wants to fight at now. 10 days notice against Jim Miller. And if there's been a knock on Alex Hernandez, it's that he needs that first round knockout or he's tired later. Who is a guy you would less rather face tired in the second and third round than Jim Miller on top of you. Cause that dude has got crazy submissions. I, I think Jim Miller late by submission is a slam dunk here. And if you can get just the money line at plus 200, come on. I, Hey, you don't have to twist my arm to bet on Jim Miller. Let's get to our parlay of the week though. It's the aforementioned Pogues, a minus 230 and Clayton Carpenter, a minus 275. So almost a three to one favorite, a minus 275, a minus 230 in Pogues. Uh, again, Carpenter minus 275. Pair them together, two-fight parlay, get you even money, break her down. Yeah, so I mentioned before with Pogues, I just think he's too fast for Parisian. I think Parisian's going to have a really tough time with a guy with light heavyweight speed up at heavyweight because Parisian is already a slow heavyweight. So, again, love Pogues here. I'm going to make those odds a little sweeter by playing them with Clayton Concrete Carpenter because, look, Carpenter blew me away on the regional scene. He blew me away on Contender Series. And it seems like the UFC knows they've got something in him, too, because they're setting him up for his debut fight against Juan Camilo Ronderos, who looked just atrocious in his debut and then tested positive for cocaine. He's 4-1 in the UFC, and you would think that that would, or 4-1 in his, his pro career, you would think that would be like an automatic cut. It's not. They decided to feed him to Carpenter. I think the fact that this is only at negative 275 is a crime. So pair that with Pogues. Get yourself some even money. Get yourself some even money. Uh, I'll tell you what I enjoyed. It was this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as well. Let us know on the social medias if we did you right or did you dirty with some of these picks. At Top Turtle MMA is where you can find us on social media. Gumby, we're having so much fun here. Let's keep the party going. What should we do next? 
We're going to transition now to actually a pair of interviews I have for you guys. The aforementioned Zach Pauga and the aforementioned Jamal Pogues both joined the show to talk a little bit about their upcoming fights and some training camp changes, both in their weight class changes, one coming up from light heavyweight to heavyweight, one coming down from heavyweight to light heavyweight. And we're going to get to both of those interviews for you in just a moment. But before I do, I have to let you know that they are brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jujitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jujitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you these two interviews with Zach Ponga and Jamal Pokes. I enjoyed me today is Zach Pongo, who fights Jordan right at UFC Vegas 69. That fight is on February 18th. So, Zach, before we get into talking about the fight, I-, I wanted to talk about being in the Ultimate Fighter house because I- I've heard everything, right? Like, I've heard people talk about it being great. You get all these new training partners. You get all these new trainers. I've heard people say it's the worst experience of their life. W- what was it like for you? You know, it was great for me. I loved it. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a little older. I'm a more mature. But... To be able to go in for six weeks and do nothing but think about fighting and train. Someone pays all your bills, gets you all your food, anything you ask for, you get. It was a vacation for me. And it's so like yesterday, I think, was a year since since I went into the house. And to be honest, I miss it. <laughs> I miss <laughs> doing nothing but think, eat, sleep, train every single day. Like it was great. Obviously, I took advantage of the opportunity and, and you know, used the most of it. But I do hear people say how hard it was or, or the kid, they would never do it again. I don't know. I liked it. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> well, and I was going to ask you too, because you know, you're seeing all these different people take different routes into the UFC now, right? Contender series has gotten really popular. You know, you see people taking short notice replacement fights to get into the UFC and you had a record that led you through cage warriors and LFA. And th- those are the organizations you circle for those two things. So wh- what made you think, you know, the ultimate fighter was the right route for you. Did you always know that like being locked up training was the the ideal scenario? No, I didn't. I like, it was just luck, honestly, that they wanted to do a heavyweight season, but you know, talking with the the UFC. So you're 100% right. The only ways in are are contender or short notice fight. They have so many fighters now that there's, that's the only way in. And it was like December of, of 2021 and the next contender season was in August. So either way, you know, it was keep fighting on the regional scene or go do this show that is going to put my name out there and get me even more recognition, which I believe I'm going to win anyway, and get into the UFC guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Contender's great. Like, contender's really cool, but it's it's a hard fight that you still have no guarantees. Maybe you have to grind out a win. Maybe your opponent's really good and you have to grind out a, a boring victory and then dana just tells you to hit the road you know <laughs> like yeah. so it was a no-brainer when they were doing a heavyweight season for me to just go in there perform the way i knew that i was going to and, and get my name out there and get the fans to know me a little bit better than they would in a little five minute blurb on contender for sure, for sure. And now you, you've mentioned a couple of times you were excited that it was a heavyweight season, but you know, I know on the regional scene you fought at light heavyweight and heavyweight is your preferred 205? Because I know for this one, you're going back down. Yeah, so uh, light heavyweight's where I plan to win the belt at. That's my that's where I compete the best at. But 
you know, when I got in the cage last August, I was 245 pounds. Like I cut a lot of weight and I think that gives me a great opportunity to win at light heavyweight, but it does restrict how often I can fight a year. So I do, I'm down for short notice heavyweight fights, but where I want to get ranked, where I want to make a run at is light heavyweight. And obviously you've got tons of partners in both of those weight classes, right? I know you work with Devin Clark. He got a chance to corner him this recent weekend. T- tell us a little bit about what it was like to to see him pick up that huge win. It was amazing. I'm so proud of Devin because he had to grind that out. That was a perfect example. Jung is a hot prospect. He's He's a good fighter. And they almost kind of brought Devin in to be served up to him. And Devin grounded out a win. You know, it wasn't pretty. But he got it done, and he beat a really good, really talented fighter. Absolutely. And, I, I you know, just speaking of training partners, I, I got to ask, too, you know, you're a guy who, you know, it, it kind of on the show, we saw a lot of your hands. And now mm-hmm. I know I've seen you working on that takedowns, those takedowns with Curtis Blades. I saw the trip on, on Instagram the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what it's been like getting your wrestling game going with Curtis lately. So I came up with Curtis. Curtis was my first sparring partner ever. Like, if you guys don't think I know how to wrestle just because I don't show it often, like, you have nothing coming. Curtis is my main training partner. He is – We, me and him have done thousands of rounds over the last four years. Um, and grappling is a big part of my game that I, that I hope to show in as a light heavyweight, right? I don't really want to take the chance of ending up underneath one of these big heavyweights. But part of my game at light heavyweight is pushing guys against the cage and stuffing them in the crack. And has that sort of been the big difference between the two? Because obviously, you know, we, we hear people say, you know, when I, I don't cut the weight, I feel like I got more power. I feel like I can take a bigger shot. But like, is that the biggest difference for you? Is that like you game plan differently for light heavyweights than you do heavyweights? Absolutely. Like, I, I like to be a bully in the cage. And it's just like it makes a difference. A guy being 60 pounds heavier makes a difference. It's hard to push those big guys around to drag them down and, and grind on them where it's a little bit easier when, when they're, you know, 205 pounds as opposed to 265 pounds. And, and I, you know, obviously I got to ask too, cause I, I hear these people say they come up with wrestling and I hear these people say they come up with jujitsu and then they get into the cage and they're boxers. They're guys who like knocking people out. Is is there a part of you that that is just that? Like you just love, you know, the feeling of getting to stand in front of a guy and trade? Or is it entirely that, you know, you sort of have to do what you have to do when you get up with those big guys? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm Simone. It's in my genetics. That, uh, that left hook is in my genes. But I, I'm an MMA fighter. I do what it takes to win. And just at least with, with the heavyweights and what people saw on the show – you know, that, that was coming through the hands, but I, I fully plan to be a complete mixed martial artist against Jordan Wright. Well, let's talk a little bit about that fight. Cause Jordan Wright is a guy, you know, we we've seen wild ups and downs from this guy. He has got highlight reel knockouts, especially on the regional scene, knocking dudes out in two or three seconds. But then also he's seen some kind of lows where he's gotten kind of manhandled in the UFC once in a while. What are sort of your thoughts on where he stands as a, as a light heavyweight? You know, he's a killer, be killed fighter. He goes out there with no intent. He's never seen a judge's scorecard. He has no intentions of leaving it up to the judges. You know, he fights the way Dana wants all of us to fight. And that's dangerous. That's something that I have to prepare for and have to deal with. But I feel like it plays into my game plan. All I have to do is exactly what I normally do. Push him against the cage, 
put some heavy hands on him and, and, and give him a way out. I don't have to do anything special that you guys have never seen me do before to win this fight. Absolutely. Now, I, I want to ask, too, because like some people have said in the past that they love fighting that guy who's the killer be killed guy. Mm-hmm. It's easy to win bonuses that way, right? Or I've heard some people say they'd much rather fight somebody who fights like they do. Do you like the idea going in there and, and making sort of your, your second first impression, if you would, or your first impression at light heavyweight against the guy who's you know going to go out on his shield, so to speak? Honestly, I do. I, I like that they put us at the co-main event slot, you know, and that's for a reason. It's because one way or another, we're putting on a show, and I, I do enjoy that, and I like that. I like having a willing dance partner. That we're gonna figure find out who's better one way or another. There's gonna not gonna be any questions at the end of this fight. And, and you actually stole my next question right out from underneath me because I was gonna ask you about that co-main event slot. You know, there was some shuffling on the card. You know, one main event moves to this other spot, and finally they post the card the other night, and there you are. You're in the co-main event spot. Did you already know when they announced it on the broadcast? And and if not, what, what was your reaction like? I had no idea. They don't. I mean, they didn't ask me if I wanted to be a co-main event, but I'm excited. You know, I'm I'm happy just to get a chance to you know show my my skills. Like people in the media and on Twitter and stuff, they complain about fighter pay and all this stuff, but this is the UFC giving a chance to unranked, lesser-known fighters to get their name out there, and that that's more important to me than an extra few thousand bucks is being able to get in front of people's eyes and put my name and my skills on display. And, and I got to ask too, they haven't released the posters yet, but if you've got your, your face on that poster, your family going to own like 750. Of them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> you know, I've got my ones from the, I was on the poster for, for the tough finale, which I, you know, obviously didn't go my way. So feels a little weird hanging that one up, but I, you know, as much merchandise as I can get, I'll take. All right. And now, you know, I usually like to end these things with a prediction before I let the fighters go. You know, you're fighting Jordan Wright. You've already given us kind of the game plan and the way that you see this going, putting him up against the cage, putting your hands on him. But how's this one end on February 18th? Uh, this one ends in a second round TKO. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Zach Pongo, who fights Jordan Wright at UFC Vegas 69. That fight, once again, is on February 18th. Zach, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, and joining me today is Jamal Folks, who fights Josh Parisian at UFC Vegas 69. That fight is on February 18th. So, Jamal, I wanted to start here. You were on the Contender Series once. You won. You didn't get the contract. So now you go back on the second time. You put on a damn good performance. But how nervous were you waiting for that announcement the second time? You know, the second time, honestly... You know, it didn't bother me no more whether the results was I got the contract or not. You know, like I said, I just want to go back out there and just give up, you know, give a good performance. So it meant a lot the first time, but the second time around, it was just, let's just go out there and just compete, you know, have fun. Well, that love that mentality. And obviously it showed with how relaxed you were in the cage. Now, you said you didn't really worry too much about whether or not that contract was going your way, but... Give us a little bit of what the reaction felt like when he did finally say your name. Yes, come on over. I want Jamal Pogues in the UFC. It was uh, it was a big relief. You know, it's one of the things where I worked my whole life for, and it finally it finally happened. You know, so it just I don't think I really had a reaction at that moment. I just it was just kind of like uh, I just honestly can tell you my mindset was about fucking time. <laughs> 
that's, that's the best way I can explain it. I dig that. Now, you, you it's worth going back and talking about the first time, right? Because you put on a good performance the first time, and, and then you wound up having to go back to the regional scene. You fight in LFA. You, you take kind of a, a tough, very awkward loss in a, a submission that nobody saw coming. Were you ever at any point in time worried that this second opportunity wasn't going to come or it, they weren't going to come calling again? Uh, you know, honestly, no. Uh, it was just like, let's just keep working, uh, keep my head down, keep working, and let the self work itself out. You know, definitely, I think after uh, the first continuous, because I put so much into it, and I put, like, my heart and soul, and I didn't get the results. I just never really put, like, a. I think I had more of a time frame of when I wanted to be in the UFC and when I wanted things to happen. And I think right after the first contenders, it was just kind of like, you know what? I can't force anything. I can't make things happen. All I can do is just stick to the ground and just, you know, hope for the best. And, and obviously the best comes, right? The best comes in some form of, of, awkwardly enough, a short notice fight, right? Like, cause that's the other thing is, you know, this performance, great, relaxed, you know, look great, winds up getting you in the UFC. You didn't get much notice that this fight was happening. It was supposed to be a different fighter. How, how prepared were you going into that fight? Did you have something resembling a training camp? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I, be, I was out for a year, uh, on and off for a year, dealing with family and personal things. And uh, beginning of, you know, last year, uh, I finally got back into training. I got back into training. I was like 285. Mind you, I used to fight at light heavyweight, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, it just, you know, life took its course and, you know, the whole year I was just working my way back, getting in shape again, you know, um, losing the weight slowly but surely. And honestly, I wasn't expecting to fight until I told everyone the end of last year, you know, around December, you know, November time. And I was like, I want, you know, that's the time I want to be back. And next thing you know, I think five months in, you know, right before six months in, or you know, I'm training, they call me and they say, hey, uh, we got to fight four and a half weeks. So I know you said you didn't want to fight yet, but. It's contender series. And I just say, yeah, give me the contract right now. I dig it. I dig it. Now, you, you mentioned that you had, you know, obviously had put on weight. You wind up fighting this one at heavyweight. Is still kind of the goal at some point in time to go back to light heavyweight? I know you were briefly, you know, rumored to be booked at light heavyweight in the UFC. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's honestly, I can't say no to it. Um, but right now, I can tell you next time I go out there and compete and you see me in two weeks, I'm going to definitely lean um very very lean compared to when i fought contender series uh, in august and you know i'm never gonna say no to light heavyweight and you know heavyweight is kind of just fun because it's a different challenge i'm more fueled i don't have to cut so much weight i don't have a not that i don't have to do a diet but i don't have to kill myself you know and i can eat you know i think ufcpi has me at 3,000 calories a day and i can tell you when i was fighting at 205 i was probably eating maybe 1800 calories a day so definitely i feel good here so i'm definitely not gonna say no my heavy but for now we're gonna stay stay ahead of until this goes and, and i did see some of your instagram of you working at the performance institute obviously nutrition being a big piece of that but but has there been other things at the performance institute that you've been able to sort of take away as a, a big lead into this fight uh you know it's it's, it's definitely a confidence boost knowing like the way you're working um, everything is no more guessing now. And I think that's what I love about the PI. No more guessing. Everything is, uh, you know, it's mapped out to a T. It's your results, your body. And I think each month is always, you know, each month, each week, each day, I'm starting to see how my body changed. I'm hitting new numbers. Um, I'm getting more explosive. I'm getting leaner. Um, 
you know, uh, I'm lifting more heavier weights. And it just, it just, I think that's where the pride and, like, that's what comes into we like, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Well, that's great to hear. I'm really super psyched to hear that. Now, I want to talk about your fight with Parisian. But before I do that, I'm a big fan of knowing where fighters' nicknames come from. And, you know, there's I I say this all the time. There's 37 hitmen out there and there's 28 pit bulls. And, you know, you've heard those nicknames time and time again. There's one stormtrooper. I've only ever heard one stormtrooper. So where's the nickname stormtrooper come from? Uh, Stormtrooper comes from I was, I think, 17. 18, 17, 18, around that time, I ended up switching gyms to, you know, with Joe Daddy Stevenson. And, you know, just to, you know, change my career. And next thing you know, uh, right when I left, I'd say maybe a year later, you know, I think I just got tired of my old coach talking shit to me, telling me, you know, saying he had guys that beat me up, I'm never going to be anything in the sport. You know, we can, you know, the list goes on, what he was saying. So I went to a gym and I was like, hey, how about this? Me and you fight. I said, how about we just spar? How about that? Me and you spar in front of everybody, and we can get this out the way. You know, my time, I think my coach around like 36, 37 at the time. And, you know, I was like 18. So I said, anyway, didn't happen. And I go back, and then my teammates are like, bro, you can't be going into people's gyms fucking shit up. And I think maybe like a week later, like, dude, we got your fight name, the Stormtrooper, because that's all they fucking do is go in there and fuck shit up. <laughs> and, you, and I was like, and I was like, that's my name. And then they were like, and, you know, it kind of led on into my career when I made a lot of youth upsets, you know, in people's hometowns and definitely been an underdog in a lot of fights and going out, going out there and just, you know, winning. So kind of, it kind of just stuck with me. I love that. I love that. Going in there and fucking shit up. So let, let's talk about the next time you get to fuck shit up. And that's Josh Parisian at UFC Vegas 69. So he's a heavyweight who's kind of been around the UFC for a while. He's had a ton of fights in the UFC and for the most part, he seems to be getting it done on the mat. You know, you saw him on Contender Series getting it done that way. He's gotten a couple of ground and pound finishes. Is that kind of what you're expecting of him when you go into this fight? You know, uh, honestly, no. Uh, I don't. I think people forget that. Like, I am a black belt, a legit black belt. You know, competed at the highest level. I stopped pretty early. You know, to pursue more of MMA and. Uh, you know, I think like the first time, the first con- the first contender series, people saw my wrestling and jujitsu, and then you know this time people saw my stand up, and I just think if there's there's gonna still be a lot of disrespect on my jujitsu and wrestling, and I, you know I grapple and wrestle the best guys in the world since I've started this sport, so uh, obviously going into this fight, I don't feel like anything that he does or is really gonna really bother me. You know, uh, I do each thing at a very high level, at a high pace very technical and then you know i keep and, and my speed is one of the be be one of the biggest advantages at heavyweight absolutely now you, you mentioned that you used to do a lot more jujitsu right like you used to compete at jujitsu at a very high level is, is yeah. there something that pulled you away from doing that is, is there a reason you stopped or was it just like mma kind of took over uh you i'm gonna say i'm gonna say 50 50 mma took over and then, you know, just competing and, you know, going through the ups and downs of trials and tribulations of, you know, just, you know, doing the jiu-jitsu tournaments and, you know, and just being that guy out there competing and, you know, bullshit rules. Oh, you slammed the dude on his neck, but you slammed the dude, you're disqualified, but the dude was holding on to a guillotine. So really, technically, he had a submission. He was supposed to let go. You know, so it was like so many things. I just got tired of the politics of jiu-jitsu. And I just said, you know what, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to pursue my MMA career. That's that's pretty much it. 
And a lot less rules in MMA, a lot less worry about being disqualified. So the way that you want to end this fight, obviously not anywhere near what you're talking about with jiu-jitsu there, but give me a prediction. How do you see this one ending on February 18th? You know, I'm a second. Uh, you know, I'm looking at a second round, third round finish. Um, definitely in the first round, you know, we're going to push the pace. And, uh, you know, to me, I just feel like I, I still got a lot more to show. I didn't really get to show uh, my last fight, and I was very rusty, you know, ring rust. I ain't going to say it was real, but I was just I was just happy to be back. But, you know, you know, a couple months later, I started getting grooved again, and I feel like now, uh, you know, as I've been preparing and just training, you know, constantly since I've been back training, it's like I'm going to show even more next time. So I definitely got a lot to prove, definitely for my last fight. Well, we are absolutely excited to see it. Once again, fans, this has been Jamal Pogues, who fights Josh Parisian at UFC Vegas 69. That fight, once again, February 18th. Jamal, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, sir. Take care, man. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, MyBookie, Picket, and, of course, Maroon Social. And speaking of social media, you can check us out on social media at Top Turtle MMA on both Twitter and Instagram. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gibby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We will catch you then.